find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just Welcome to Two Day Dream Believers Podcast. I am your host, Space Orphan 18. Today we've kind of got um, an, uh, something that's kind of different. It is one of our two-parter episodes where we do a Kurt sign and a Blaine side. And this is the Blaine, or really Lima side of it. But we are doing two episodes, Thanksgiving and Swan Song. Um, and I've got two returning wonderful guests with me if they want to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Carol Jane. Uh, also, Carly um, and Cara Jane everywhere, Tumblr, um, archive of our own. Yeah. So, but I'm Carol Jane. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bethany. I'm Invisible Raven. Pretty much anywhere you care to look for me. Awesome. Welcome back, guys. I know it's a little weird to do a split episode on two episodes jammed together, but I feel like these two episodes kind of go together as a two-parter in a, in some ways. I can never watch Thanksgiving without watching um, Swan Song right after. I can't. Like, I, I just physically can't. Yeah, there. it's kind of just the way Thanksgiving ends and Swan Song starts and the fact that these two episodes kind of wrap up the first arc of season four, because then you get Glee actually, which is kind of this like in the middle episode. And then you have Sadie Hawkins and that kind of the whole second half of the season is something just different. So this kind of, you know, is an ending point in some respects, which cracks me up though. I guess we'll talk about it more when we talk about Swan Song that you name something Swan Song and it's a middle episode in one of your middle seasons (laughs) of your series. It just makes me laugh. Um, so to kick it off, um, we are doing the Lima side today, and we're doing the Blaine side, but there's not really a whole lot of Blaine here. Um, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about him in a minute, but I kind of want to go over some of the other things that are going on in the show, because up until this point, we've kind of skimmed really quickly through all of the newbie stuff, through all of the Finn stuff, and I just want to take a moment to kind of catch everybody up on on that, because... 
Um, one of the cool things about season four, I think, is that the, there's so much Klain and Kurt and Blaine stuff to digest and pick apart that, yeah, unlike, you know, other seasons where we were, like, kind of, like, talking about everything, there was just a lot to cover of just Kurt and Blaine. So that's why I'm taking just a second to talk about some of these other things that are going on because they kind of wrap up in these two episodes. So to kick it off, I want to talk about... Uh, Thanksgiving opens with uh, the return of all the seniors, except for Kurt and Rachel. And something that I found interesting on rewatch, and would love to hear your guys' commentary on it, I kind of wish that they hadn't really brought back the seniors up until this point, because I think this moment with them singing um, the mashup of Home and Homeward Bound is really oh. kind of powerful. And I think that this is an interesting way to bring these characters back. And I, I feel like that would have been really an interesting thing to see all of these characters return in this way. But instead, most of them have had like scenes before that. I think all of them have been back in, except for Quinn in some capacity up until this point. Um, well, I will say this is actually probably, this mashup is probably my favorite group number it highlights everybody so well. Everybody gets a chance to sing and it really emphasizes like how much of a home glee was for them for them. But then in Swan Song, they are not there at all. And where this is such a two parter kind of episode, it's like, why did you bring them back? If you're not going to at least show them, I guess, reacting to what happened at the end of Thanksgiving, because they, they are not even there. They're not even mentioned. Yeah. And I know there's a Rachel and Kurt size hole because it is like just the returning seniors, but they're like, you're all in Lima. And aside from being mentors, like you're not interacting with Artie, who you spent two years with. You're not interacting with Tina, who you spent two years with. You're not interacting with Blaine, who you spent so much time with. And it just feels like it's very seniors. And that that kind of emphasizes the Kurt and Rachel hole. But like, I won't say anything bad about the song because I love the song. But yeah, it does feel weird that they put it here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another part is uh, Santana and Brittany broke up. And I mean, like, I guess they're still friends, but like Brittany was really upset by that. And it was devastating for them. And they don't even really interact. I mean, they're, they do a song later in the episode together with Quinn. But like, and I think Santana says something good about Brittany's dancing. But other than that, yeah, no. Yeah, they, they don't mention that, hey, we had a devastating breakup, like, two episodes uh, three episodes ago and <laughs> you know it's kind of funny I never yeah. really thought about that because maybe just because I'm not a Britannia shipper but they kind of had some storyline in the Grease episodes but they kind of wrap it up too it's kind of like oh yeah mm -hmm. you know and Santana's like you know we broke up for a reason and Brittany said she was sad and I think this is now, and we'll talk about more about the Britney stuff when we talk about Swan Song, but I think this was them saying, we're done with Britannia for now. We're not going to really bring that up again, even when they're in the same place, <laughs> which I, I don't know. I, it, I, now that you mention it, though, it's really weird because they, at the beginning of the episode, like Finn acknowledges he and Rachel are in an okay place, like they are still communicating and Blaine and Kurt are not talking at all until the end of the episode. And Santana and Brittany are in the same place. They're in the same situation, but they don't even really look at each other. So it's just like, oh, yeah. they used to be a couple. Oh, yeah, we should remember that. But they, they, Wait, they basically don't. They? <laughs> even, yeah. I want to say there's even some animosity still slightly between Tina and Mike, too, even though that kind of got resolved in the Grease episodes. But... Well, 
they didn't really mention that either. I mean, like we have that again, um, where she makes a comment, but that's in like at the end of the season when um, the seniors uh, or the alumni come back to help them for um, regionals. And she's like, why do we need your help? And it's kind of like bitter ex-girlfriend kind of thing. And then she asks even why Kurt is there and, and yeah, yeah well that, that that's bitter Tina who basically got, just starts essentially here or maybe even earlier and just gets worse and worse as we get through. I, I'm not sure. I, I think Tina's like happy that the, or she doesn't even have a reaction in this episode that the seniors are back, but like she did have a reaction in, in, um, during, during Greece. Yeah. Um, but that was also because she, she like got passed over for a role that had to get recast for an alumni too. So Which is like, weird. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, gets pissed on all the time. This, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me about Thanksgiving itself, um, while it's nice to have these characters back, and I remember at the time thinking, oh, yeah, they're bringing the old characters back, I feel like they shouldn't have done it as much as they did, but also, like, Santana Mercedes should have been over the New York side right off the bat, and, um... Them in this episode working with all the newbies, it kind of excludes all of the senior current seniors, and you don't really get any kind of Sam, Tina, Artie, or Blaine in this entire episode. And I feel like this episode is trying to bridge the at this, you know, it's struggling because people aren't catching on to the newbies very well, and the storylines with the newbies, which we'll talk about for a second, um, aren't going out. I, I don't think people were really gravitating towards them, so they bring back these new, these old characters as a bridge, which they might have worked better in the beginning, but I feel like it's just too little too late in some respects, and then you're kind of excluding who the story really should be about if you're going to do this next generation type thing with these seniors that you really haven't done much. I mean, I granted, I mean, Blaine did get a huge thing in the previous episode with dynamic duets and everything, but it still feels weird that they are barely there in this entire episode, if that makes any sense. I, I think that's interesting, too, because um, there is always that divide between, like, the seniors who have been there for years and the rest, like, the newbies. I, I, I think... Um, this generation of, of New Directions is very close. Uh, it's one thing I love about this generation, like, um, especially in the second half of the season, is that they just, they're very close, and, like, all of the, the group numbers seem to be actual group numbers and not, like, harmonizing behind one or two. Um, and... But like, also the relationships are are supportive, even if there's if focus goes on just one at a time. But there isn't really the the bridge between the the seniors and the the um, newbies, as we call them, um, except for maybe Kitty dating Artie. Yeah, that later and, on in season five, I think it develops more. But here, definitely not. Yeah, and, and I think that's I think. Um, Sorry, I think by bringing the old, the older generation in, it almost—I don't know—regresses is the right word, but it almost regresses the newbies back to 
Ra- uh, Marley's the new Rachel, Jake is the new Puck, Kitty is the new Quinn. It regresses them back to that role, and it really emphasizes because them they're paired up with the person they're a lot like, and it's just like you're they're getting really overshadowed in any development they had gotten in the past eight or nine episodes. It's kind of being overshadowed by oh the no newbies the newbies are now with the people they basically are the new versions of right yeah I mean they even like call you meek the clone of Mercedes yeah I mean it's a Britney joke but still it's it just yeah it does reinforce that that idea mm-hmm. um, before we go into the the paras I want to really quick touch on that reunion scene. Uh, where they're all at, um, they're all at lime at the at breadsticks. breadsticks. I, I do kind of like the scene. I do kind of like where we get an update of the characters. I do like the fact that that Blaine, no, not Blaine, he's not there. Mike says, you know, uh, Kurt isn't talking to Blaine because I I like to think that Mike and Blaine were are still friends on Facebook or whatever. Even if you know, that's it. I was trying to think like why would Mike know that? As, oh. Yeah, that's true. They were friends. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking, he's not talking to Tina. Tina's like... <laughs> exactly. That's... Well, I'm looking at that group, and I'm like, I can see Finn saying something, but he had to have the conversation about Rachel, so who else would you give information about Kurt and Blaine to in that group, and there's really nobody when you think about it. Well, was Mercedes sitting in there with them? I don't remember if she's there. Yeah. She is there. I mean, she she would probably keep her mouth shut about like what Kurt is is saying to her about because it's probably more personal. I don't know. I don't really buy that Kurt was talking to anybody about it, but that's just yeah. my two cents. Yeah, that's that's true. But um, yeah, I, I do. At the same time, there is it does feel a little bit like a hole is there without Rachel and Kurt being there. And um, we're not going to get into that side too much. But I do. It is kind of sad to bring all these characters back. And yet the two characters that you are still kind of following, they are not there. But at the same time, I think it's intentional for their story that they're trying to tell in the New York side. So, yeah. And I think of the two like they're it seems like they're the most quote-unquote, moved on, but it's really, like, this group that is stable in their their next life choices, maybe Finn less so, that they can come back and, and look on things with nostalgia instead of, like, being stuck back in, in Lima kind of feel. Do you guys feel, I mean, this is, yeah, definitely asking your opinion on this, that when they brought these characters back, it feels like, it doesn't feel like 18 to 19 or whatever it feels like 18 to like 22 or 23 it suddenly feels like these characters are way much older than what they're really supposed to be yeah i can understand that but like i i also i mean it was what's almost 15 years ago but i i can remember going home for like the first time after and seeing friends for the first time and it felt like i hadn't seen them in a billion years and that high school was like forever ago so, oh yeah i just meant so, in ju- like just the way they dress them too they just give them a more adult look in general i think it feels it, it, it unintentional or not it just it feels like they're much older than- i think that was probably done to play up the whole mentor role just because like these guys have left this place and 
no, they're going to mentor you. So we're going to make them appear older, appear wiser, even though they've literally been out of out of McKinley for what six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I one thing that kind of I don't know why it bugs me, but when Finn is introducing them in the um, in the choir room, he's like, "You guys are looking at legends." I'm like, "Really? <laughs> Come on, guys." <laughs> but um, so uh, met like half of them already. Exactly. I think all of them but Quinn have been back at this point. So we get, well, first of all, let's talk about Finn real quick. He is struggling since his post-breakup with Rachel, and he is taking over this Glee Club. And I, I do like season four, Finn. His storyline is going to play a lot into Swan Song, but I think this is, um, he's trying I love here. him as the, the leader of the Glee Club. And I think... I think it is totally on character of of Will Schuster to up and leave like mid mid um, semester, not even mid year, like early year, and and just leave his like championship choir to a newbie to a nineteen year old who does not have a nineteen year old who who doesn't he isn't even trained to be a teacher or a leader other than like he he sang lead in songs and was quarterback like it's so on point for Schuster to do that um and then like later in the the um episode be mad that that Finn like they screwed up like he didn't set it up for failure um but um and I, I love Finn It's the role because he really like values all of his mm-hmm. like all of his students, I guess for lack of a better word. Um, he values all of the members of the, the Glee Club and and uses them. And again, it's a reason why I really liked season four that like they really there was a lot more a lot less of um focusing on and one person but like more group numbers and and camaraderie within the glee club and i think that was because of finn how he led it yeah and he does have a good idea saying like we need like a big dance number and like we're going to go against the warblers and like here's how we should do it like he has a good idea i wish he chose an any other song to do it with but he I has a good <laughs> I, I, uh, I have feelings I will talk about it later but um, like he actually thinks about okay what's the best way we can defeat them and they're like oh can't Mr. Shu come back I'm like if Mr. Shu comes back all you're going to be doing is doing another journey song and and like Danny there are there are there are times yeah. I think Finn kind of has a he sees himself a lot in Ryder, so it's he kind of reverts into that role, but he doesn't like it. Isn't like Ryder, you're gonna be lead, Ryder, you're gonna be lead. Like he gives everybody a, a chance to sign more so than Will did. So he he has the potential to be great, and just some of those choices I, I question. So <laughs> I, I, I will argue Gangnam style later when we come to it. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there in a second. So we get these pairing off. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, we get first of all, we get unique and Mercedes, and nothing really happens with these two. It's kind of like, oh That's yeah, it. let's put these okay. two. You know, unique was inspired by Mercedes, and let's put them over there and not even deal with them. Because up until yeah. this point, unique does. She has 
Um, her friendship with Marley is kind of just starting up, but she really doesn't have a whole lot to do in general, and she hasn't really. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's had she had the little Rizzo stuff and the Grease and the Grease stuff, but um, she hasn't really had much of a storyline this whole year yet. It doesn't really kick in until the second half of it, season four. But she does have a line later about how her parents want to send her to basically a conversion camp, and I'm like, I don't think I missed that the first time around. I'm like, yeah. what, really? Because yeah. she's like, yeah, I'm going to wear my wig. I'm going to be who I'm going to be unique, and my parents can worry, and I understand that they that they are just worried, and they can talk about sending me to camp. And I'm like, what, what? And I, I'm just like, Ugh, that passed me by. So I kind of felt really bad. Yeah, well, poor. I'm glad that she doesn't have to go through that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, they they love the character, but don't really know what to do with her. I they in later episodes they they try to deal with like the trans issue a little more, but it's a little heavy handedly. But they're not ready to deal with it at this point. No, I think they I also were trying to at this point still figure out what who unique was if she was mm-hmm. straight up a, a straight up transgender or if she was crossdresser or drag queen or what and, and I, I feel like they're still late to no she's definitely trans and I'm glad they finally figured that out but I still think that they were unsure of what they wanted to do with the storyline for a while so yeah and I like I like that they had the little moments of her but like um, there were so many stories going on at this point in this episode that, like, I'm almost glad they didn't try to, like, do more with her because it would just be all overwhelming. Well, and I'm, I'm a little sad that they didn't, like, her story, I think, is much more interesting than some of the stories that we were getting. And, yeah. but yeah, it was so funny when we did um, the Grease podcast that had the two Grease episodes. I gave a list of every plot line that was going on and that we didn't, we only talked about the claim stuff in those episodes, but it was uh-huh. so funny. Like we, I named up like 14 plot lines. <laughs> it was so funny. And I kind of feel yeah. like that with this episode too, there's like 14 different things going on. And, um, I, one of the hard things about the early part of season four is that there are so many things going on that it feels messy. I don't think it's as messy in a way as season three was. I actually looking at these storylines, they make sense, even if I don't really like them, but there's still yeah. a lot going on in these episodes. I think it's because the the choice of what the um, writers or the, the producers or whoever made the decision wanted to focus on, like, they focused a lot on the, the Marley, Ryder, and Jake triangle, like, but nobody was interested in that at all. Like, I, most of the times that I was, like, doing rewatches through through the early season like I would just like fast forward through parts that had those three in it because and it's so funny how easily those kind of looked out too I mean it's like you can kind of really easily skip that stuff if you want to and um so so yeah they had a lot of a lot going on but I, I feel like they weren't focusing on like the things that people wanted and so that's why it felt like too much was going on too and that it was all over the place, but I think like they got the message by at least uh, I don't know um, a couple of episodes. The second half, they like basically drop the whole writer Marley and Jake 
they they pick up a couple of other things that are not very popular either but still like um uh, well, we'll, I'm going to put a pit in that because I have a thought about that, but we'll, I'll, I will talk about that in a second. Um, first, I want to go down the rest of this list. Uh, we have Santana taking on Marley. I kind of wish we would have seen more of that. That would have been entertaining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would love to see Santana as a, like, because she, she, I think, like, Marley is the kind of person Santana would, like, probably write off, but then, like, having to be assigned as her mentor she like when she's forced to care about somebody she really cares about them like that's Santana's personality like she'll she'll like give you backhanded compliments or not even compliments but like she'll care about you that which is kind of why it felt so sad that the older generation weren't in swan song because you know Santana would have had something to say about Marley fainting on stage and probably would have told yeah, her I mean, she, more than she, she already did. She brought it up before, like, she she brought it up to everybody before um, it happened that, that Marley was, uh, like, sick, but nobody paid attention to it. So like, Nobody yeah. was paying attention to anything to do with Marley, and I just wanted to shake them. Like, she yeah. is obviously suffering and not eating and somebody needs to tell her it's your voice people care about not what size you are and I know she's a teenage girl and eating disorders will obviously affect how you think and everything like that I just I wanted to give her a hug and I'm not even that invested in the Marley storyline at all but I just wanted to hug her tell her you are okay the same thing like I love Kitty later on but like I just want to bitch slap her yes so hard. So yeah, speaking of Kitty, let's quickly talk about the Quinn Kitty stuff and how Quitty Quitty. <laughs> they have a shipper name called Quitty. Um <laughs> uh, Kitty just followed Quinn around and it was a little weird and creepy, but okay. I, I mean I, I get it, but I could never tell if, if Kitty was being like genuine or if she was like being I don't know, facetious or, or something or like I don't know. It's like I couldn't hell because like kitty kitty always does like where she acts really nice to somebody and then like rolls her eyes behind their back um and and so it was really it's it's really weird that it it just struck me as weird weird the whole like her her the way she acted towards quinn because because i could never take it as genuine Oh, I guess I, I did take his as sincere, but I think it was supposed to be like this funny, like Kitty is this awful person, but of course she's going to idolize somebody who's also considered this awful person. That's kind of how I took it. So, yeah. And, and I'm betting Kitty has probably heard a whole lot about Quinn from Sue and kind of like, you're not worthy to like lick her boots or something like that. Even though Sue also wasn't very nice to Quinn either, but yeah. Sue's opinion on everybody changes in the space of an eye flicker, so. Before I change gears and talk about the boys for a second, I do want to mention Santana and Quinn in there. We learn a little bit, like, Quinn is, you know, fooling around with a married professor, and Santana's struggling in Louisville, and they get into it, and they get into a fight, and they slap each other. And I think the thing that bothers me about this is that it feels so 
done for ratings. Like, I'm pretty sure that it was in all of the promos. And nothing really happens afterwards. They, like, calm down and go away and whatever. But, like, I, I'm like, really? Do we have to, you know, digress to this? Like, yeah, Santana and Quinn have always had their issues. But I, this just felt like drama for the sake of drama. Like they came back to high school just to revert to high schoolers? I kind of think it's it's funny in retrospective uh, when we, like, take this and then the next time they see each other is in the wedding. <gasps> That's true. <laughs> that is kind of funny. But, <laughs> okay, in that context, it is kind of funny. But, yeah. I mean, if you take this episode alone or if you just, like, watch to this episode, yeah, it's it, it doesn't really have a place it's not resolved at all it's just it's just out there it's kind of i i mean whereas the other one has a little more context to it it's kind of like when rachel slaps santana in season five i'm like really do you really think that's like i i just uh these female friendships on this show sometimes are so just heavily in this you know antagonistic yeah. Um, frenemy place all the time and I, I just those three like Quinn, Quinn, Rachel and Santana and then like every iteration of, of pairs between them is is that frenemies they don't like they're, they support each other but then they don't support each other they, they turn on each other but then they like have each other's backs it's yeah, and Qu- Quinn even mentions that she still hasn't gone to visit Rachel and them in New York, so. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, we're we're best friends. We love each other. Oh, you know what, though, Carly? The next time, I hate to burst your bubble on this. The next time they see each other, though, is when they go try and stop Rachel from being naked on film. Oh, okay. But still. Well, but still. <laughs> even that, that's like, they work together for a common goal. <laughs> I, I thought of the wedding for the next time because, like, they bring up the, the um, oh, no, the professor. She's talking about the philosophy or psychology professor. She's talking about in this time when she's, like, doing, like, textbook analyzing people from after, like, eight weeks of, of psychology 101 class. Um, as every psychology 101 student does. Um, uh, I think that's the same professor that she's talking about in in the wedding, so that's why I thought of it. I will say that Quinn doesn't really, she's only in a handful of of episodes in all of seasons four through six, but I do think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that her little storyline of dating a professor who's married or whatever, it's kind of reflective of what's going on in the New York side, actually, where they're trying to be grown-ups and they're going to live their lives and not need their high school boyfriends or anybody else because they have each other and they live in the city. And it's kind of this faux adultness. And I think that's a story that kind of is in Quinn, too. Santana's a little bit... The Santana thing will continue when we get to talk about Diva later on. But, um, yeah, there's this kind of thing. And even in Finn's, Finn is struggling himself to be an adult and it's, it's a different story than Rachel's, but it's, it's kind of thematically, uh, very similar. I I think that's, yeah, that's interesting that, um, the faux adultness and faux, like 
they have an image of who they want to be. So they like fake it till they make it sort of to kind of, but you know, they're still like 19 year old kids. So they're like really still immature. The same thing with like Quinn, when she brings Biff or whatever his name is. Yeah. In season five. In season five, it's, she's, really fake to be this persona that she wants to be and this persona she's like had in her head since like the beginning she's always had like this is who I have to be in her head like forever it used to be the the um what uh real estate agent who was married to Finn in Lima and had 2.5 kids and had this picture perfect life and then later it's the you know, secret society, Jack, Jackie Kennedy kind of persona. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> That's okay. Like, well, just to get back on track yeah, a little bit. The, the false, like, I, I think I saw that a lot in the, like, going to New York that, like, they all had big ideas of what they were going to be when they, like, um, left Lima and and became adults basically it was just the jump from Lima to adult and it's yeah it's it's very much performative adulthood even like you think of Mercedes in um the LA episode where she has a fochawa you know she's she or um she was like saying she's a big star and she was just like selling her CDs at a gas station kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so switching gears a little bit. Um, so Ryder and Jake, their mentors are um, <laughs> Mike and Puck. And I have to say something about this one little moment where Mike, uh, Finn is like, oh yeah, Mike, I have to, I forgot to ask you, I need to do choreography. And Sam stands <laughs> up. I want to shout out to this moment with Sam where he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I got moves, and he starts doing his stripper moves, and Mercedes in the background is like, no. <laughs> but again... Ben has that one move. <laughs> that one, like, hip roll move. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't get a whole lot of... I mean, we get Mike teaching them, and Puck doesn't really do much of anything. He's just kind of there. Um, except doesn't he give advice to Jake about getting Marley? Like, and he warns him about what Quinn's furrowed brow and everything means. Because Quinn is actually sticking up for Marley and saying, like, you know, leave her alone. She needs to concentrate. And well, that's because uh, Kitty deflects like what's happening with Marley onto onto Jake. Yeah, because I, I think people are noticing that Marley is out of sorts and she's not acting right and. And so Kitty, who is the one who is pressuring Marley to lose weight, instead deflects it onto Jake saying that he's pressuring her to have sex or something of the sort. And um, Quinn can easily believe that because Jake's brother is Puck, even though they are two separate people that didn't know each other until like a month before. (laughs) <laughs> it all feels overly complicated. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and then we get the beginning of Jake and Ryder bonding. I, if you guys want to say something about that, that's totally cool. I don't really have a whole lot I want to say, but I, 
I like their friendship. Like, I like um, Marley and Jake together are friends with Ryder, even though, like, now it's the the stupid triangle, love triangle going on, which I just will say again, I have no use for. But um, I thought Jake and Ryder were, were good friends. Um, but, like, not really characters or friendship that I cared too much about, I guess. I yeah. will say... Oh, go ahead, Bethany. Do you have something? No, I was just going to agree and basically say, like, they're both okay guys, but, like, when I was watching this episode, I was like, oh, my God, get on with it. There's... Yeah. I, I was, like, just watching it, and I, Blaine doesn't even get to speak until, like, 37 minutes in, like, because yeah, I was watching it in the context of taking notes for talking yeah. about Blaine. I didn't have a whole he's lot to say. pouting in the background the whole time. Yeah. Like, I, I had some notes about this, the other, the older people coming back and everything, but like, but I didn't really care about Ryder and Jake. Like, they have a good friendship and, like, Jake got, trusts him with the fact that he's trained in ballet and everything like that. And they're like, yeah. oh, well, you're dating Marley, so don't take the thing away from me. I'm like, Marley's not a possession, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> And then he's like, I'm going to be the bigger man and give you the song as well as the girl. I'm like, the girl's not yours to give. Yeah. And like, yes, yeah, you are doing the right thing by letting Jake have the dance number. But like he was in the middle of trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Maybe pick a better time. I don't know. Yeah. My thing with, I I don't find it anywhere interesting. It's really one of those things that I fast forward through. I will say personally, I like, them trying to be friends more than I like them trying to be people adversaries for Marley. Um, but I mostly don't really care. I know there are people that do <laughs> shout out to them. But I I just, it's not my cup of yeah. tea. Jacob Artis is from Buffalo, New York. So he's like the closest to a local for me. So I love that. But otherwise, yeah. <laughs> Harley, that's so random. That's, and I love that. Thank you. That's, <laughs> We don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of people that are. <laughs> That's okay. I like to say that I and this is true um, that I lived forty minutes away from Darren for four four years. How about four years? <laughs> but um, I don't know. Random facts. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about really quickly before we talk about Blake, which I'm sure even our listeners are like, "Come on, let's go." Um, <laughs> uh, the first is uh, I forgot about the song that Quinn and Santana and Brittany sang, and we mentioned it a little bit when we talked about Santana and Brittany not talking. But it cracks me up that Sp- Santana, not Santana, Quinn gives this entire speech about them being 100% in sync at all times, and they aren't in the stands. I'm like, well, <laughs> it just made me laugh. I don't know. <laughs> they were in, they were they were in sync. Because they were cheerleaders and they were t- trained to be in sync as cheerleaders. Like, that's... Cheerleaders have to be uniform and, like, have... have, um, Yeah. And, and now we have one cheerleader, one dressed in a... Like, like a hippie and the other dressed like Santana. <laughs> So it's not the same thing at all. Mm, no, not really. Okay, and then the other thing, so we get into sectionals, and um, I, you know, did the Warblers really need two songs on the, in no. this one? <laughs> Especially not those two songs. 
Uh, I hate whistle. Like, you don't want to blow my whistle? All I could think about when they were singing that was Blaine going, none of that was classy. Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, they're trying to build up the Warblers. I mean, I, I get it. Coming out of, of dynamic duets, you, you're trying to make the Warblers these villains that you're going to try and redeem in, in Sadie Hawkins. But it still felt, it kind of feels, again, like, um, like vocal adrenaline will in season six. It's just too much. We don't need that many songs. You don't need to rely on that many songs. So, I think they wanted to show how like awesome, like all, because they have so many flips and like gymnastics moves I think in their choreography. That part was done and intentionally. I think that was the point. Yeah, for the the um, the part that comes back in um, Sadie Hawkins about them being like on drugs, and I don't know what drugs give you. The ability to do choreography like that, but <laughs> um, I, and we have to mention we have to shout out that Trent is not there, um, and people actually wondered at the time they're like, "Oh, Trent's not there." You know, maybe they, you know, didn't want to ask Dominic Barnes to do all this stuff, but apparently that was intentional. So probably a moment or of was it? Or was it just the writers being like, "Oh shit, we did forget him." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, and then a shout out to the people that did over the, uh, the Amish group that did Over the Hill and Through the Woods, the Thanksgiving song. Uh, they were, I liked them. They were fun. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, so let's talk about Blaine. I know what Mennonites would go on a, like, competition. I think it's against, like, their religious to be showy like that. I honestly don't know. So talking about Blaine, uh, in this particular episode, you know, we're coming off a of dynamic duets. Which, you know, usually that's typical. If you get an episode that's really heavy, focusly, focusing on you, uh, you don't get the next one. So it makes sense that he's not in it very much. Um, but he's, yeah, he's really, I don't know. What do you guys think about the background, him in the background, excluding, we'll talk about the phone call in a second. Well, I mean, he's definitely feeling somewhat better because he's doing... They, they don't show the, the duet he does with Marley, but uh, Finn mentions that he's doing a duet with Marley. So he's up to his old performing self, at least. Um, but he does look really just depressed in every background scene. Yeah. Yeah. Sad puppy. I mean, I do, I do think the point of this is... Him starting to heal, though, because it's interesting to me. Dynamic duets. Sam says to him, "You know, you have to forgive yourself." And a lot of the stuff in the Thanksgiving stuff with Kurt is about Kurt feeling like he can forgive Blaine. And I know that, like in the phone call, he's just not there yet. But it is like Blaine has to be at peace with what he did and who he is before they can start down that that road of reconciliation. And I think that phone call really is an interesting first step after the dynamic duets episode it it is for for blaine that like i guess um they were they were friends first and i think for blaine they'll forever be friends first like kurt is his best friend and um nobody can take that away even like Sam is trying to be his best friend like he doesn't it's like apples and oranges to to the friend that Kurt was even before they they started a relationship um 
And um, I, I don't think he can forgive himself until, like, at least Kurt, like, acknowledges him as a person. And he, yeah, he, uh, what Sam said, you got to stop making yourself a villain. Like, he, he is a villain if Kurt won't even, like, talk to him or, like, treat him civilly in his mind. Like, Kurt can't even look at him or even, like, respond to a text or anything. And so, like, he he feels worthless in that way. So I think getting a, a phone call and, and what the phone call entailed, like, even, like, getting an I love you, too, um, it, it just allowed him to, like, start the process of forgiving himself in a way that he couldn't do on his own. Okay, I I guess I kind of disagree a little bit, just because I think that Dynamic Duets was him forgiving himself, like, starting to forgive himself, in that, you know, he was out, he was able to feel like he was comfortable within the new directions as part, you know, a group. Uh, Back in Greece, you know, Kurt said this wasn't home anymore, and Blaine, therefore, also felt adrift in, like, New Directions was not his place, as he says in Dynamic Duets. And I think that by the end of the episode, he feels like he has a place. And I, I, I guess... So I do feel like Dynamic Duets started that trend more so than the phone call, but the phone call definitely exemplified everything. I think that there's more positive movement coming out of the phone call. What do you think, Bethany? You've been kind of quiet over there. Can I, I... I know you're a Kurt fan. I don't know how Carly feels, but uh, I'm going to put out a potentially very unpopular opinion. Sure. Mm-hmm. I am so glad that Kurt reached out and said, like, look, I'm trying to forgive you. I'm not there yet. At no point in this series, and maybe they talked about it when they were trapped in that bloody elevator, does Blaine say to Kurt, I forgive you because I really wanted Kurt to say, like, look, what you did was shitty and it was wrong and the breakup is essentially your fault. But I was not a good boyfriend either and I'm sorry about that. And just kind of, and maybe that come up after the second breakup because the second breakup, more fans are going to be like, yeah, that was definitely Kurt's fault. Just like, I, I wanted more communication and for him to just acknowledge, like, look, I realize this was going on with me. You know, he sort of did in Puppet Master. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Blaine did using Kurt Puppet. Yeah, <laughs> but that but Kurt but Puppet's yeah, not I, the I, same. Yeah, no, and I I will say, um, as a Kurt fan, um, as I represent all of them, no, I'm kidding. I do think <laughs> it is a pitfall of the writing that they never had him do that. I I do think that once the cheating happened the br- the reasons behind the breakup kind of got um brushed under the rug a little bit better a little bit more than just straight up yeah there was cheating. I, I don't know it's just like throughout the rest of the series there is still constant referrals back to blaine cheated blaine cheated and mm-hmm. then now i'm starting to sound like song from rent but still uh <laughs> like it never comes back to i wasn't a good boyfriend either that does not excuse the cheating but I realized yeah. that maybe I should have picked up on what was going on with you 
and I don't know, maybe it's just because I did the makeover podcast not that long ago that I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And well, and I, yeah, I think also, um, and again, I, I really say this is a pitfall of season six that I think going into the second breakup, that is really where Kurt, you know, he screws up. And then that's where when he can really forgive Blaine for everything that it, you know, you know, and he realizes he, you know, that was a really good time that they could have like, you know, analyzed it and said, Hey, you've got these issues too. And I think they tried a little bit, um, but it, it gets, it just muddled and they kind of dropped the ball on it. And so, yeah, I, I think they tried a little bit in the un, unnamed Rachel Berry project. Yep. I also think um, that throughout um, there is a little bit more of like Kurt does make more of an attempt to talk to Blaine to make sure he's okay, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm not and trying to make an excuse. I do think you're right. I do think that the writing never addressed that. And that is, I hate to say a problem or problematic, but I do think it was something that they really, to make a fuller and better and more believable story, it was something that probably should have been addressed and never was. So I think, I think, yeah, it definitely was something that was missing in season six. And I, I feel like it was something that caused their problems in season five that like, they never really like, they were very unbalanced in kind of like Kurt held a sort of moral high ground that like, well, it was Blaine's fault for the, he cheated. And, and so like, I'm forgiving him. So uh, yeah, it, it felt unbalanced, like the relationship. And so, um, and it felt like that was a reason behind their breakup into season six, but season six, they definitely should have addressed it. If yeah. not before. Like, I, I also noted when Kurt called, Blaine doesn't have a picture of Kurt come up on his phone. Yeah. And when you go into Swan Song, Finn still has a picture of Rachel come up when she calls. But Kurt, but Blaine does not have a picture of Kurt. And I'm just like, was it too painful? Did they just forget to put it there? I think it was intentional and, because when they yeah. had in Makeover, um, when they had Blaine calling Kurt, he was there was definitely a picture there. And I think that it was a picture from the breakup. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... We talked about that, definitely. But, um, so yeah, we get this phone call, um, and I do think it's intentional. I think Blaine was trying to make an effort, because at the end of Dynamic Duets, before the stuff with Sam, he's taking down all of his stuff with his lockers. He's under the impression it's done, it's over. And I think that after Dynamic Duets, it's just my personal headcanon, that he he's making an effort to not be as attached to, to Kurt, to, to try and fall, he kind of falls in, like, you know, hanging out with Sam and, and with um, Tina and um, just try and focus on the things that make him feel good about himself and not on the, the Kurt aspect of it. So, But he is still texting Kurt, according to Mike, at the beginning. And that's why I think it means so much more that Kurt is the one to call. Right. So we get this phone yeah. call and um, we basically have... You know, uh, trying to do this from Blaine's point of view because this phone call is actually set up from Kurt's point of view. Um, but we get this, you know, and and we get these two conversing. And I actually am really fond of this scene, though. I think this is more communication than they usually get. And I think 
um, it's a very well-written scene because there's still pain there and there's still a lot of, you know, trying to work this out. But coming to the realization that here are two people who are, who still very much care for each other. And, you know, Kurt still says, I, you know, you're my best friend. And that just to Blaine, I think means just as much as the, I love you at the end of it. Yeah. I, I remember when this first aired and we got that video of the phone call and everyone was like, uh, my emotions, but yay, they're talking. And it's just, it was so good. And as much as I wish we had gotten more communication from them, especially like Kurt saying, we're going to have mature talk heart to heart at Christmas. So Kurt was intending to come home at Christmas yet. He's still applying to apply for Yada. So I'm just wondering what happened there that did he think he wasn't going to get in or was he planning on finding a way home anyway? I don't, I don't know, but like it was just so good to have Kurt be that one to take that first step and basically say like, I'm not there yet, but you're still my best friend. I still care about you. I still love you though. Maybe we don't know if it was in a romantic sense, but yeah, it definitely was. And saying, like, you know, I can't go this long without talking to you, without at least trying. And Blaine's there giving his little squeaky cry laugh and <laughs> trying not to break down. And Yeah. And then saying, oh, we're going to go to the lime. We're going to go anywhere else but the lima bean. And I'm like, you still go to the friggin' lima bean. Don't, don't be lying. Like, I don't care. I love the fact that, you know, this is all the stuff that Blaine thought that he had lost. All of this. And the fact that, you know, because Kurt was silent with him up until this point. And so the fact that he realizes that he's not only not lost this, but that Kurt wants to take a step forward just means so much to him. And I remember when the first time I watched it, I was really surprised at, you know, just how when, when Blaine says, you know, Kurt, I love you so much. And it's just so like he had to say that, like. That was his way of saying, I, you know, thank you for calling and let's, you know, work, whatever. It's just all of that in that little moment. And just to have Kurt say, I love you back. It just it was amazing. I really don't think he expected Kurt to say, I no. love you back. No. And it just, it, it broke me. And then I know this isn't the New York side, the side of things, but then Kurt goes in and hugs Isabel and the claim theme is there. I'm like, uh, nope, crying, done, done, <laughs> I'm done. Exactly. I can't handle it. Well, even like Blaine cuts off the the phone call like right after he says I love you too so like sort of like he can't he can't stand to hear anything more because yeah. like he's just too just gone <laughs> happy sad like I don't know uh, my emotions can we talk about the staging of the scene for a second um that they're both on ladders and they're both inverted colors. It's all black and, and yellows, but they're inverted. And I just think it's really cool. I love when they do that. Yeah. And just the, like the single light down on Blaine, whereas all the lights from Kurt are kind of like below him and background and from the, like the apartment. So I really, it's one thing that I've noticed going through season four as kind of, crazy as all of these storylines that are going on they do such an amazing job with so little because claim doesn't have a whole lot but there's a lot uh -huh. that they do there's a lot that the actors do with the, just such little material with the costume department the lighting like they put a lot into these scenes uh, that 
don't, I mean, there's only like 30 second scenes, but I'm just so impressed with the high level of storytelling that they are doing with these. Um, comparatively to other things that still feel really messy. I mean, even we'll talk maybe a little bit about it in, in Swan Song. Finn and Rachel are going to have a phone call too, but it is not as emotionally satisfying as this claim phone call in this one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that later. It has a different purpose too. Doesn't it's not just like this this phone call is just for them. This is just about the um clean friendship uh relationship either or and about these two characters. And um so and for staging too, they're they're taken out of like the scene. They're um they're they're completely away from their group. Yep, they're both isolated um, from what's going on around them in a way. Yeah, and um, they're in off offset kind of places. Like the the ladder is not. It's like it's it's backstage in a in a corner somewhere, and and the, um, Kurt is on a fire escape they're they're not like regular set sets like a living room or the choir room or something they're um it's it's removed from the plot sort of Mm -hmm. and um but it's it's so strong and it's like it it makes this whole episode yeah and i think it I, I mean, as much as dynamic duets is the turning point, I think this is even more. Well, then, like, again, like what I was saying a little bit at the beginning, these two kind of, these two stories kind of wrap up the first part of season four. And I mm-hmm. love, one thing that Glee does really well that I, I'm always so fascinated is that, they, you know, there are these different beginnings and endings, but it kind of meshes all the stories together. So it's not just, okay, the story is told here and then it's just one season four has a very long game plan to it. And you can see Uh each of the steps as it goes along. And I appreciate season four better now that I've really sat and looked at it and see what they were going for. So, and and this phone call too, it's, it's such a pivot because like, as we said at the beginning of the, the episode, Mike pointed out that Blaine was texting and Kurt was ignoring everything. So, like, they hadn't talked for, what, two months by now? This is only, it's only about, about a month. Well, and, a month and a half. It was Thanksgiving and the other one was a beginning of October, so. Month and a half. But, like, I mean, they pivot to immediately... Um, Kurt is hanging up from a phone call, like the next episode from Blaine. Like they they go from like no com- no communication to they're probably like talking like old friends nonstop after this. Well, maybe less than they were, but yeah. But Kurt is kind of emphasizing that they were best friends for a very long time before they got together, and they were still friends after they got together, and as much as it would hurt him to be back with Blaine romantically, he does not want that friendship to be out of his life anymore. He can't handle it because he's in New York and yes, he's having a great time, but he's still struggling. And 
you know, the New York side can get into that as well, but this, it was so important to him to try to even get that friendship back, even if they never got back together romantically, he needed to get that friendship back in his life because it, there was a hole, a blade-shaped hole in his life, and he needed to fix it. And I feel like that's always the case with both of them, that, I mean, call it codependency, fine, whatever, but I do think yeah. <laughs> they they really have a hard time when they are not able to be together, even when they, they I mean, you know, like, as real people, they drive each other crazy sometimes, but... Um, at the end of the day, they are best friends as well as the romantic relationship. And and actually, I, I love season four that they did get to develop as characters away from each other. Um, like, that's another reason why I love season four that, like, even though, like, after Kurt, Kurt doesn't get a lot of development, especially in the second half of the season. But, um, but they do get to develop some away from each other. And especially, especially Blaine does though. Blaine. We never knew him outside of Kurt before season four. We talked about it in dynamic duets a lot, but we, uh, how Blaine gets to be a real boy now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, uh, kind of wrapping up Thanksgiving though. Um, Carly, you wanted to, well, I mean, I guess both of you guys, did you want to mention, have opinions on uh, Gangnam Style? Well, I, they always did the, like, hit song from the summer, like, they did Call Me Maybe, and they did, like, um, Born This Way, and, like, throughout, they've always done the hit songs, and, like, sometimes the hit songs you never want to hear again, Um, but, I mean, I don't think they could have ignored Gangnam Style because it was, it still is, I think, the number one YouTube um, video um, played, number, like, number of hits played for YouTube. Um, And it was huge then, that year. Um, So, like, for that reason, like, I, I think it was a good idea for them to do Gangnam Style Another, like, I I thought it was cool that they did a, a song that was, like, in a different language and had, like, really cool, I like the choreography for it. Um, and I, I'm also a huge Tina fan, so whenever Tina gets a solo, which is very, very rare, I love it. So, yes, I love Gangnam Style. Do you remember what part of Asia they said Tina was from? They never I, said what. I, I, like, I think when she was applying for Brown, she said she was from somewhere specific, but I can't remember and I didn't bother to look it up. No, <laughs> I'm not sure she did. She said, oh, but I have the Jewish hat as well. She yeah. Because like earlier in the episode, said to, no, no, Jake she Spider- mentioned sometime that she was... Um, Adopted. I, yeah, I'm not she sure. Adopted. She's definitely adopted, and I always assume because Jenna's adopted. Yeah. And yeah. so I always assume she, like a lot of the characters, took on the actors' attributes. But I don't know. I'm looking. I'm just doing a quick yeah, look to my, see if they've ever been. Yeah, my and she's a Korean. Adopted uh, well, I know Jigena is, but I'm yeah, just wondering. No, but I mean, like, in my headcanon, I, 
she's Korean baby that was adopted by a Jewish and Chinese couple. Yeah. No. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think they ever, like, they don't, they didn't, never went into anything about Tina's character. Yeah. And then they changed it like 50 times. <laughs> but no, um, they, they got Tina to do the song, which is good because hopefully she actually knows how to speak the language but earlier jake said to Ryder, you don't need to learn the words it's korean sing gibberish I'm like uh that that's that's offensive and yeah <laughs> you know neither of the boys were really singing the korean that was all tina they were all singing the english parts and doing the dance yeah. so i don't i don't know it's just like it, it i don't know it just felt like it was in poor taste i yeah i kind of lean on the poor taste i not to discredit Tina, because I think Jenna having to learn all of that and do it was yeah, pretty impressive. Like, they they did a good job with it. I'm not saying they didn't. I just felt it was in poor taste to do. Right. I, I, I well, and okay, first of all, my personal preference of I don't like Gangnam Style in general. Like, I watched the video. I'm like, I don't get why people have watched this a million bazillion times. I don't really necessarily don't think it's that funny. I don't think it. But he knows why it was so popular, but, like, it was. I, I do think that sometimes Glee latched on to these things, but it wasn't necessarily... <sighs> they not, not necessarily should have? Yeah, like, it's just, that was a, you know, cultural thing at that moment in time, and I get why they did it, but looking at it, I'm just like, eh, it just feels inappropriate to me. But that's just me. So it, it also Why like I know they, they covered like other popular songs, but this in particular seems to really almost date it now that I'm watching it like what four years after it seems really, really dated that they're covering Gangnam style. I don't know. <laughs> but why inappropriate? I don't get that. It just it I guess I don't even know how to put it. It just feels like this I don't know if I don't know if it falls into cultural appropriation or not. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm just like um, uh, not understanding what that is fully. So I could be wrong, and I totally do that. But it feels like they were taking this, you know, uh, this thing from another culture and doing it themselves, and kind of. I mean, I don't know. Think that Lee was trying to make a joke out of it or anything, but I'm just like. Okay. It just felt like, you know, all of those other YouTube videos that are trying to, like, mimic it, but it just feels in poor taste. Even though Glee did a good job with their production of it. Yeah, it, it almost, like, they did it, and they did a good job, but it almost feels like they were making fun of it a little. I don't know. I just it, it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. Like, even though they didn't do a bad job doing the song, although if Finn thinks that would have won, I, I think he was a little delusion there, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, I'm on record of never really liking any of the competition performances. I, I think Pam is in agreement with me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. And you know what, Carly? I, it doesn't, hopefully our opinions don't, like, Shouldn't diminish yours. I, I don't think that your opinion well, is invalid. I, I also so. know that my opinion is a very, very unpopular um, opinion in all of fandom. Because I know, like, most people don't like this song or this version of it. But, yeah, I just, I enjoyed it. I thought 
it was fun that they did it. Well, that's good. I, I mean, like, I don't feel it was inappropriate. I, people can correct me. And also at the same time, I will say that, you know, I don't know if it is my place to say whether it is cultural appropriation or not either. So I, it's not. Well, I, yeah. I know in choirs we we used to sing like all different songs. I know there's a a Suhili, um song that that like I think I've seen so many different versions of choirs doing it. Like Siahama Sia like that. Like I've done it several times. Like I don't think it's something unusual that that, no, um, but I don't think your show choir was trying to take advantage of this popular thing and make money off it either. So that's where I'm kind of like, mm, okay, Glee, but uh-huh. that's okay. We can agree to disagree and move on. It's okay. It's like, I'm, I, I don't expect to change your mind and I don't think that you are yeah. wrong for your feelings either. So the, the gibberish comment, I, I didn't notice that comment. That's I, I did, and that's that made it worse. Yeah. yeah, that that's horrible. Like because Rod is actually trying to learn the words to get so he could get the moves down next, and Jake was just like, "It's just sing gibberish." And like, well, first of all, he's not going to be singing anything anyway, aside from the English yeah. parts, because that's what you were all singing. Tina's going to handle all the Korean. So, but like, I, I have to applaud Ryder for trying. Whereas Jake's comment really, really, really did not sit right with me. And I give Jenna so much credit for the amount, because she obviously took it seriously. And, yeah, you know. Oh, my gosh. Like, to learn that whole song. Like, I mean, she doesn't, she, as far as I know, she doesn't speak um, Korean or didn't at that time, at least. Um, and certainly not. It's, it's almost harder to sing in a foreign language sometimes. Um, not really like I get like the number one thing though with me Carly though I just think it's a dumb song to begin with that's me personally nobody has to agree with that you know no yeah that's certainly up for like opinion so so but that's the cool thing about the podcast is we all have different opinions yeah. so um so yeah and I totally know that mine is like an unpopular opinion and most people are going to be like, oh my God, there's actually somebody who likes that shit. All right. So moving on to Swan Song, which kind of takes place right after Thanksgiving wraps up and we get the Marley stuff and Marley faints. Marley and faints. Blaine has, has uh, juice boxes. Because he's a, the eternal boy scout. Cause I, I can't think of any other reason for a 17 or 18 year old boy to be carrying red juice boxes. Other than you're the boy, eternal boy scout or the mom friend. Seriously. Like juice boxes. Like. <laughs> I don't Unless he's still packing juice boxes for his lunch and he just brought an extra snack or something. Like did Blaine, did you bring enough juice boxes for everybody? No, then too bad. Well, he obviously did. <laughs> I know he did. <laughs> uh, the funny thing about this episode even though like 20 minutes of it is like dedicated to Rachel singing um, it's so much simpler in a way and I think part of it is because you know there, the the returning cast is not there for this episode even though it does seem weird since this is kind of a two-parter um, it has uh-huh. less things going on in it and I think it benefits from having less things going on in it to be honest with you so yeah. Well, 
first first scene we have like Shu being an asshole and yelling at them. It's like where where did this rule come from that they can't leave the stage after they're done performing? Because like the music had stopped and they left the stage and like what? <laughs> yeah, don't they usually do that to switch numbers? And like I felt like okay, first of all, medical emergencies probably should give them some leeway. And I mean, I and mean, like, why are you adhering to the roles now? You've never adhered to them before. You know what's really funny though? This is the kicker. Okay. They are disqualified completely, right? When Sadie Hawkins, they said that, you know, they'll get the Warblers disqualified. Okay, that just means the Warblers are disqualified. Not that they get first place. No, it should have gone to the other choir. It should have gone to those Men Knight. <laughs> yeah, the, the Men Knights, come on. <laughs> Even though they should have gotten longer than 30 seconds. Take some of the Warbler time and give it to the Men Knights. They were good. <laughs> But they didn't sound bad. So it just cracks me up that um, all of this nonsense to get like them kicked out of sectionals, which is what I think the whole. Unfortunately, obviously, this is disorder eating disorder stuff was there for lots of reasons, but one of them was a plot device to make sure that they didn't win sectionals, so that Finn can go through this whole thing. Which I realize is really a sad thing to say. And I that's why I'm like qualifying it with the fact that yes, a lot of this was to help develop Marley as a character and you know, bring awareness to eating disorders, but um, I can't help but think that a lot of it also had to do with servicing the story that they're trying to tell with it. Yeah. Well it was also to the whole like does the can the uh club exist or not kind of eternal battle that they go through every single episode it feels like you know <laughs> does sue win and the glee club is disbanded find out next time on glee <laughs> <laughs> well we already know the answer to that we beat that in season one um <laughs> You know, it's funny also that Will comes back for just like a second so that he and Sue can, you know. Yell at Finn. Yeah, well, and just have their feud. And make Marley feel horrible. They didn't. I know. Everybody makes Marley feel horrible. It's not all your fault, but it's your fault. (laughs) That's the other thing that I really get upset about is that, like, everyone. Here she has an actual eating disorder, and as somebody who's been through something like this in the past, to do just to like yell at her and tell her like everything is her fault when she's going through this medical issue just left yeah. a bad taste in my mouth with the whole, that's why I really don't talk about the eating disorder storyline. Cause I think just about everything about it bothers me. So yeah. Yeah. They almost actually kind of made it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Cause at the beginning of Thanksgiving, she's like, I'm dieting. So I look good. So I don't let everybody down. And then she fainted because she wasn't eating and thus let everybody down because everybody was very quick to turn on her and say, this is all your fault, even though some of the blame should be put on Kitty and that doesn't really get resolved to shooting star and whatever, but it's just like Tina, especially Tina really like guns for Marley. And, I know. And it might be like another one of my solos got ruined, but like Tina really, really guns for Marley. I'm just like, you guys screw up a lot too. Like you forgave Finn and Rachel for kissing at nationals. Get over yourselves and like go easy on the poor girl. She fainted. Yeah. It was not well. Yeah. It was within her control, but you don't know that. 
until Jake says she hasn't been eating kind of thing. So, you know, it have some sympathy for her. And again, I'm not a big fan of actually any of the newbies really, or the Marley eating disorder storyline, but I still feel bad for her. And I really don't like that. They're so like gung ho to jump on her for this. And yes, I feel bad that this is some going to be your last sectionals and this is your last year of glee, but tone it down. Be nice. Well, I mean, Glee has never been good with like the eating disorder thing. Like, no, I mean the the jokes of like Ipecac uh, uh, drinks that from the first season and um, the thing uh, Mercedes went through, and then like I, it didn't tone down from there. Like they, yes, they used that just to have like. Um, to sing beautiful and, and have that feel good moment, but it's not like they, they tuned it down at all. Well, and it also, they're, I mean, they're going to later pick on Roderick for being heavy set. He's not really that fat, but just being heavy set or the fact that like Santana is going to say that Rachel was once a butterball. And I'm like, really? She was never like, like this, the, the show's issues with, body shape are really troublesome a lot of the time. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm not going to touch any of this. We're just going to, yeah, I will say part of their ostracizing of Marley is set up to have her parallel with Finn because Finn's a bit lost in this episode too. And a lot of it is about the two of them trying to hold on to something that everyone is kind of just you know, at, not at peace, but like have, have accepted it being over and these two um, kind of gravitate to each other. And I kind of wish there had been more uh, Marley Finn stuff in general. I think I really like the dynamic between the two of them. And I think that the, you know, I don't know, just the scenes that they got where they, they're helping each other out. I think it's, is really, they're really awesome. So it also unfortunately did cause a lot of people to ship them and then everyone's like he's her teacher what? essentially there were people who shipped Finn and Marley I I, I I remember that a lot of people that actually kind of were like okay with it and then there were even more people who were like no and I'm like no <laughs> I no. like yeah they're not in that context I like them being friends in not creepy a la Will and Finn way but like actually liking one another helping one another but there were people I know don't know how many but I know there were people who did ship Finn and Marley because I remember there's a lot of people who got really mad that people were shipping Finn and Marley together and got really really angry and vocal about it on Dumbler well I do think that they they to me feel like a brother sister-ish type thing personally so yeah that's that's what it felt like to me like I mean she she felt guilty because like people were being like it's not your fault but kind of to her or directly saying it is your fault like Tina with no tact um but I mean she was definitely internalizing this and she's definitely going through a lot um with you know something like that coming coming being exposed She's exposed. Not only does she have an eating disorder, but it's exposed. That's kind of like even not worse, but like it 
it's traumatic and and then have people like blame you for it is is just it's harsh <laughs> and so yeah we get you know this is kind of <sighs> Glee ends, and Finn and Marley are both a little bit struggling, but by the end of the episode, and we can save the last song for last, but, like, they they kind of restart the Glee Club, and the thing that I think is nice about the end of this episode is that from here forward, the newbies feel a little bit more integrated into the story, and they kind of go forward from the story as kind of one big group, and I think that's the second half of season four the McKinley side works a little bit better for me because now it's not just here's the newbies and here's the seniors and here's, you know, the New York stuff is of course its own other thing, but here we have these, you know, this one group of kids at McKinley and their stories are going to start to be one story about this group of kids. If I'm making any sense. Yeah. Yeah. They, they more have more storylines after this too, about the group. Like you have, um, the the calendar storyline in Naked and all of them working together and 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 then um, boys and girls on film yeah like all of those storylines really is about them working together and them like each having their own problems but like they're very tied to each other and not like separated. Yeah, they they had to fall apart to actually become a whole, and this this is definitely the turning point for that because after they almost lose Glee Club and lose each other, it's kind of ironic after we spent the beginning of Thanksgiving emphasizing the old people like Glee Club was such it was their home, their family is each other, and this episode just like Glee Club's over, okay, bye, we're all gonna go in our own directions. Then they're yeah. like, oh no, we need to stick together, we need to maintain this family aspect, this home aspect, because even if we're not competing, we should stick together because we all still love music. We still all love performing. And like they had a holiday concert, which I don't know ever happened, but it's like other Glee clubs, like after original song in season two, the Warblers lost, but they still went on to perform and like nursing homes and everything like that. So why couldn't this Glee club do that? Is it just because things like, unless you're winning, you're not a club? Or... No, see, and my, it's just the show's weird emphasis on the competitive performance part of it. Because when yeah. I was in choir, we didn't perform at all. We just did. I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. compete at all. We just performed for like our parents. I mean, and why the, the they never had a concert for like their families just always confused me. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, it, I, it, I guess it, they did, but they weren't the important parts. I think it's um, if you're going to invest money in it, you you get something in return. Is the whole Figgins thing. And so, like, performances on their own are not not enough, I guess. I don't know. I don't try to use logic. I don't agree, but, like, I'm trying to to suss out what Glee logic is here. Yeah, but see, they could do performances for, like, you'd like, oh, well, we need to raise money for the school, so let's use the Glee Club as entertainment. Like, use them in that way. Like, find something to do with them instead of... I, I didn't even understand why Sue got the choir room as opposed to 
one of the bands because there's soundproofing, there's instruments. Like, why does Sue get it? She has yeah. a whole auditor. She has a whole gym. She does not need the choir room as well when it's already set up for a performance-based musical aspect. Well, but does the it, band exist outside of, of the Glee Club? Well, there was a jazz band in, in the first season that existed outside of it. Cause Artie was part of it, but apparently they forgot that out after the pilot because it's never mentioned that he's part of it again. He went goes on to join marching band, but there there is band at that school. There's a bajillion other clubs. Yeah, because so. Blaine joined them all. Yeah, and then he joins Cheerios <laughs> on top of being class president and, like, the third highest like grade point average. Like, Blaine, you don't... Why? Stop. You're going to put yourself he out. He feel like he's connected enough with the school or, like, competing enough, so he has to join another club. Oh, do we want to touch really quickly up on um, the phone call between Rachel and Finn? Because we mentioned a little bit before about how it was. it's a different... It's just a very different thing than um, the Clayton phone call. Um, I, I, he's like, well, Rachel, you, you, you butt dialed me again. I'm just wondering how many times she called him, but couldn't find the courage to say anything and said, oh, sorry, butt dial and hung up. Oh, interesting. So I'm just kind of wondering how many times that happened or if it was just genuinely butt dialed. But I was just like, hmm, maybe because like the last episode, they were apparently maybe not in a great place, but they were still talking. But the way he says it, it means like she's called him a lot and said, oh, it's a butt dial. Or she, he has assumed, and it's like, Rachel, 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 you butt down me, I'm hanging up now. And she's just there, not able to say anything to him. I don't know. Because she had said at the beginning of the episode, should I call Finn? And Kurt's like, mm, do what you want. Though I will say, and I probably <laughs> will say this more on the, the New York side, the fact that she says, oh, I, I probably shouldn't remind him of an even bigger loss after his loss. I'm like, damn, Rachel, that's a little mean. <laughs> it's Rachel. It's so Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. Okay, anyway. <laughs> kind of, the rest of the my thoughts are kind of little bits and pieces. Oh, no, first, before we talk about Blaine again, um, uh, sorry, I want to uh, talk quickly about Brittany and, and not Sadana, and Sam. Because this is the episode where they start dating. They sing such a, I love that song that they sing, Something Stupid. Yeah, um. But uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Robbie Williams, Robbie Williams, is that his last name? Yes. Um, uh, they sang a version of it um, back in 2000 something, like early 2000. And like, I've loved it ever since I heard that version. Um, and it's, it's a really, Sam does really cute duets with the girls. Like he did this one and he did the, the song with Quinn um, falling in love with my best friend. Lucky. Lucky. Yeah. Easier title to remember. <laughs> um, um, and it's, it's just really cute. Like I like their little relationship, but it, it doesn't really, it's, it's very like um, I don't know inconsequential, I guess. It, it, I mean, it's really cute because they're they're both these like I guess quote unquote stupid 
people. Not, they're not stupid, but like just they they're the blondes, the stereotypical blondes. And they get each other. And that's very cute. I think um, Brittany and Sam are sweet together. I do think that, like, I'm not a Britannia shipper, but I don't ship Sam and Brittany either. They just, you know, whoever they're dating at, you know, at the time works for me for the most part. I do think that this works for the most part in season four. But uh-huh. I, I, my only thing about this whole thing is the, you know, Later on, people are going to talk about um, about the fourth wall breaks with Clayne. And so I know some people were upset about that in season six. But here, I feel like this was a much meaner dig at Britannia fans than the Clayne fans usually are, will get eventually. Yeah, and I know that there was a huge backlash on the, from the Britannia fans, too, because of the comment, like, the, the lesbians on the internet are going to hate you. Or however it was put. Yeah, basically she was, you know, she said we can't be together because the lesbian bloggers all found out about us and they will hurt you and do mean things to you. And I'm like, you know, I... I yeah, that that was mean-spirited. I'm like, you're, yes, you're acknowledging it's- that Britannia has a fan base. And yeah, you're probably possibly even annoyed at the amount of tweets you're getting, even though, you, you know, you can totally stay off Twitter. Uh, but... I think that, that, I don't know, I don't think it's the nicest way to acknowledge that, yes, we can carry you. I also think it's, it's kind of cute to think that Santana and Brit- Brittany, like, in the Glee universe, have a lesbian fan base as well. Well, probably after they uploaded their porn video. Well, yeah, that, there's that. And it's just, with her, her fondue for two, she probably has Santana on a, a bunch and... And just that they have a, or, and, and plus they're like, they were the lead cheerleaders for, um, the, the top, well, not the, the head cheerleader, but they were like the, some of the best cheerleaders of like the national winning team. And they were two lesbians. That's got to have fandom. Lesbian saying, yeah, girl power. <laughs> All right. So there are little bits and pieces um, having to do with the Blaine stuff in here. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but um, yeah, Kurt mentions at the beginning of this episode that Blaine called them, called him or texted him after they lost, say that they lost. So it does show that they are in communication with each other. Yeah, that, that was From, oh, it's a 60 and six, seven, six seconds flat. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird because, like, they had just had their first conversa- conversation in, what, a month and a half, two months, to kind of start on this road, what, 15, half, 30 minutes ago, and suddenly they're all buddy-buddy. It almost felt like the phone call had happened days before, not earlier that night, to the point of the point where they are. It just, it, it did very much jump from, I don't know if I can forgive you, to, hey... We lost. This is what happened, and we're back to buddy buddy. And maybe it's Blaine just trying to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. And Kurt's like, "Oh, okay, but whatever." I count that. I, I kind of chalk that up to that's what happens when you have two different production teams working on two different episodes. I feel like and that happens with Glee a lot in a lot of respects. That 
from episode to episode, like I can see the writers sitting down and they have their big picture. Believe it or not, I think there's more continuity long term. Like here are the points they want to hit, but it doesn't add up in the details. And so, yeah, I can see why it hurts a little too. I don't want to say dismissive, but it's it just too easy. It's like, oh yeah, he just called to say this, you know, and it's like, okay. This was yeah, a huge freaking deal like in the previous episode and in all the episodes before that. So, um, also, where did all the party people go? Like, they were just they were cleaning there. up. They're cleaning they're up. They're giant kiki there not that long ago. And watching that without the volume on was so weird. It was just so, because I just mute the <laughs> New York parts to do these episodes and I just have it on the background while I like scroll through Tumblr or whatever. I'm just like, what in the hell's going on? Oh, wait, no, they're having kiki. <laughs> and then later on, when. Rachel and um, what's her face? Kate Hudson's character, Cassie, Sandra July, are doing their little dance off. I'm like, are, am I watching the start of a lesbian porno? Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> That's been my thing. For each other, the whole season like, four. What the hell is going on? Because I'd forgotten what song they were even singing. Doesn't matter, and, and I don't, I don't care because I, I am admittedly one of the least Rachel Berry fans on the face of play. I can't stand Rachel Berry. I can't. I'm sorry, people, if you didn't know that about me. I really don't like Rachel. I never have. I never will. And so I was glad not to have to sit through her singing so much in this episode, but just watching them do all that jazz, I'm like, yeah, seriously, like, leave it in the bedroom, ladies. I know, like, that's what I said every time. <laughs> it, was just, it was so blatant. Probably especially more so on mute. Um. Yeah, it really just almost uncomfortable on me. I'm like, what in the hell am I watching? Like, I thought I was watching Glee. We have to talk about when Glee Club is disbanded. First of all, we I want to just shout out to Brad who quits and he's like really thrilled. He has his first line. <laughs> and that was all. Yeah. He says, now I don't have to listen to those kids anymore. That was really funny. Uh, but I do want to say he's one of those fun, like background characters that they give like really crazy um, like backstories. He he has a foot fetish and like has has pictures of I don't know. But so I don't know. I I like how Glee does that. Has like just random background characters that every so often you find out something about. Yep. But I also like. When when Sue is like, I wonder what the Glee Club will be doing four months from now. <laughs> and Blaine's singing on the bathhouse circuit. Actually, I think he said he was performing on the bathhouse circuit. And I'm like, oh, honey, I think that might be just a little bit illegal. Oh, just a little bit. So if anybody out there does not know, I will explain. Um, bathhouse is usually where uh, gay men get together and do sexual relations with each other. At least in my knowledge of what a bathhouse is. But it just led me to wondering, how many bathhouses are in the Lima area that there's a whole circuit of them? <laughs> like, Lima doesn't even have a zoo. Why does it have several bathhouses? <laughs> it only has one gay bar, but it has several bathhouses. <laughs> <laughs> Call this one the one with the bathhouse circuit. Um, then, um... I like that Brittany's, she's like, and I'm going off and doing all this stuff. Yeah, Glee Club was holding me back. <laughs> Which is ironic, because then they go off and put her in MIT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Artie sells his legs for science. For science. And what was Tina's? 
Uh, something to do with the crack district, uh, I think. Something to do with it, I think. Maybe she met up with Sunshine. <laughs> I don't think they didn't give anything to Sam, though. He didn't say anything during this. I don't. I don't think. Well, isn't I don't know. Was Sam still on the football club this year or the football team? I don't know. That's an, I don't know. Like I think Ryder and Jake were at the beginning of the year, but then football pretty much just got dropped like two episodes in. So again, it's yeah. a matter of they all join happy. all these clubs, and like, aren't you all in other clubs aside from Glee anyway? Like, especially Blaine, but yeah. So yeah, let's yeah. talk about um, all of these. So once they all quit, they all decide to join different things. And this is a fun little moment because they all get together in, in the, the hallway and talk about where they've been. And Jake and Ryder, it's basketball season, I guess, now. And they're like, we, you know, we're good at basketball. Artie, okay, I have to give a little rant about this. Well, Jake, Jake joined because he wanted to compete. And he's like, no, Ryder joined because he wanted to compete. That's why we both joined. And Jake was like, no, I'm good at basketball. Already, okay, here's my thing. As somebody who did marching band for a long, long time and even into college, marching band is in the fall and it is for is for football. Football. Okay. You're not gonna have it afterwards. I mean there are other things that you that the marching band will do, like during the basketball season or whatever, but there's no drum major after the football season. Not really. And like you can't just become drum major. I'm sorry, that's not a thing. I mean, I guess I can see why they would make Artie that because then he's not actually out there marching. The whole thing is just so stupid. What instrument does he play? They don't even tell. Whatever. <laughs> he has the baton. He he leads them. It's so ridiculous. Yes, he's a drum major. He doesn't play an instrument. Yeah, but a drum major does have an instrument. Like when you're in band oh. and you become drum. Because I was drum major. Okay. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just being overdramatic. It just cracks me up. It's so random. They just wanted to make a joke about the plume on the hat. I'm pretty sure that's where this came from. Probably. They were probably, like, going through costumes and found one and been like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Because later, that's Finn's going to say, it looks like something died on your head. Then we get... um joins the uh, floor hockey team, so she could wear a... a um, a wig under her helmet. Mm-hmm. And some reason is wearing um, her her rollerblades inside. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense either. But that's okay. It's fun. It's fun little. I floor hockey is is that on rollerblades? I thought that was like sort of like. I thought hockey. she said roller hockey. Oh, maybe it was. Yeah. And then, um, then there's the inner. Um, what is what does Joe say he's in? The Interfaith Paintball League. Yes. Which I think is really cool. I really liked where Christians, Jews, and Muslims can shoot at each other peacefully. Yeah, they seem to get along very well. That was a nice little moment. I liked that. Alright. With the the stereotypical like Jew with the Piazza and the or how are they pronounced? And the the Muslim and uh, Middle Eastern garb. Uh, I just wanted to quickly say, sugar. They mentioned sugar, by the way, ba- bailed at the beginning of the episode, so that's why she's really not in this episode. So, but that sounds like sugar. Yeah. 
Sugar couldn't sing anyway. Why is she still there? Yeah. Funding. I just tried to fix somewhere that uh, Sugar is like, this is causing me so much stress that I've gone tone deaf. Oh, that's funny. I don't remember where that is, but she does say that. Then, yeah, Tina and Blaine become cheerleaders. I'm sure you guys have some opinions on that. I love Blaine the Cheerio. I, I I was like watching it, and Sue calls Blaine a non-flammable but gay, and I'm like, uh-huh. I know that's supposed to be a joke about that Blaine is not as flaming as Kurt, but all I could think about was Sue loves pyrotechnics. Well, well, it's probably not as flammable <laughs> as Kurt's with with the whole bottle of hairspray. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Compared to Kurt, Blaine is extremely not flammable because the gel is probably nowhere near as flammable as Kurt's <laughs> bottle of hairspray. And I know it was supposed to be a joke, but I'm like, that's where my mind went, just because I know how much Sue loves her pyrotechnics. What was trying to fire Brittany out of a cannon. <laughs> so True. she's probably happy so to have someone that she can put near the fire that probably won't catch on fire. Quite as easily. At the same time, it's... I think that how do I put this? I don't know if this is going to make sense. And if it's not, I'll just cut it out. But I think that, you know, at the beginning of the Blaine's and, you know, entrances or warbler and whatnot, he was, he, you know, they made all this point that he can pass, but I think the more the show goes on, the less that I see Blaine passing as straight. I mean, he can definitely still, but like they make him gayer. Does that make sense? Am I like, if whatever. I'm probably not making sense. Never mind. We'll just go on. <laughs> well, I I think there was always that question. Like, I mean, Kurt calls him an alpha gay in um, Dance with Somebody. And he he hangs out with the boys. And so, like, he's more acceptable gay kind of thing. And and things like joining the, joining the Cheerios are definitely less acceptable gay kind of stereotypes than like being one of the bros mm-hmm. also a- after he went through his own Sadie Hawkins experience he probably toned himself down and then he had to definitely do that at Dalton where he had to kind of be part of the crowd and then when he first mm-hmm. came to McKinley he kind of wanted to fit in with the bros I guess with like Finn and Puck and all of them because that's where he probably put himself, so he probably, again, downplayed that. But this is a new year where all of them are gone except for Artie, who is a bit more, I guess, geeky and accepting, and Sam, who, again, totally Who dork. doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, so he can be a bit more himself and accept the more not traditionally masculine or masculinely coded. Yeah, yeah effeminate, effeminate was what I was, the word I was trying he, to think of. Except- more things that would not be totally like Finn and Puck would probably give him shit about. Right. So like being in Cheerios and in sewing club and whatever. I also think Darren starts to play him with a little bit more sass in season four. So you get all of the like, <laughs> I, I know this is a season five quote, but I was in the show. I won more show, show choir competitions than all of you. And just like, <laughs> Like, but oh. guys can be divas too. They can be. So yeah, it's I guess what I, did you phrase what I said earlier a little bit better? He feels more effeminate and less masculine, um, and and so therefore the stereotype 
quote unquote gay stuff seems more prominent than before. He but feels it's more yeah. comfortable accepting that part of himself and letting those parts of himself that he's kind of kept on the down low out and saying, like, hey, like I know I'm your bro, but I'm still an out proud gay man and I like all this stuff. I like Broadway musicals. I like sewing and macrame and being in the Cheerios and waving my pom-poms around and, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like doing this stuff and I'm in a position now where, you know, I can be myself without getting, I guess, judged and everything. Mm-hmm. I, don't know. I, I I also think, like, I always got from Blaine that he was a very accommodating kind of person, that he, like, very much changed himself to suit the the situation and the, the people and, and what they wanted out of him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I mean, he's always had the, like some of the stereotypes, like if you think back to like his second episode ever, where he's at breadsticks with Mercedes and Kurt and they're going off on, on Vogue. And like, he's, he's keeping up with Kurt, this fashion guru, basically. Um, about like what what we would consider stereotypically gay stuff, fashion, women's fashion. Why would like? <laughs> but um, and, and then he's like, well, I also like football. Kind of, he he tempers that because like he has to kind of in his mind, I guess. But, but I do um, think that the the Blaine who likes Vogue magazine also likes you know, football. It's not that he's either yeah, or, yeah, but it's exactly. just different parts of him. And so, yeah, the season four, he's allowed but to be he, fuller. He allows different parts to come out at different times. And he, as through season four and five, he definitely like, he seems to feel more comfortable in his own skin and have the support of good friends. Like we don't really see him having good friends outside of Kurt. Um, we kind of infer that he's friends with Mike in season three. Um, and I guess he's friends with the the people and the warblers, but we never see him like actually talking to them outside of performances <laughs> in season two. So, um, so, but here in season four and season five, he has really good friends who like really, tell him to be himself and and like support the parts that like they might not get but like totally um support about him mm-hmm. yep the geeky parts the like I, i'm betting like the geeky star trek and or star wars and and um superhero club kind of parts Kurt probably like was like, what are you, are you kidding me? Kind of thing. Like, I mean, just think of Kurt's face when they sang red solo cup, like Blaine was getting into that. And Kurt was like, what is going on here? Like, are you kidding me? So even, even with Kurt, he, he wasn't like, Kurt was his only friend. So he's kind of like, bending towards that like and then trying to fit in with the guys on the other side in season three and so season four and five his senior year of high school he's he's not really bending towards anything I mean 
people have expectations of him because he's like the leader, but like he's he's really more comfortable with who he is. And that's all to say that he's a Tyrio now. Yeah. I was going to say, and why would Blaine really willingly do this? Well, does he just like competing that much? I, I can't remember what he said or why they said they did it. Yeah, he, he said he wants to compete. Um, and But I also think like he would be a good Cheerio because he, he's physically able to. Like, I, I keep thinking of that split he did in the disco episode where he he did a a flying split mm-hmm. <laughs> yep he keeps up with maybe not to the complete talent of mike and and Brittany, but he he was always put with them for for dancing so he has moves he he can physically be a cheerio i think he's more athletic so than sometimes people give him credit for oh definitely Kind of moving forward, um, we have, you know, so they all meet up in the auditorium and, you know, Finn is like, we're going to either meet here at midnight or not, you know, have Glee Club and everybody kind of leaves. And Blaine is one of the last people, he's the last person except for Marley to leave. I think that Glee Club is important to him, but um, at the end of the day, he's kind of, you know, gone with everybody else and saying it's over. I think if somebody aside from just Marley had stayed, he would have stayed. He looked really reluctant to go. He did. Yeah, definitely. I, I think also, if Sam had stayed, he he would have stayed. Oh, definitely. And, and Sam doesn't really have any, like, Sam was one of the people who didn't have another club to go off with. He was just with Brittany. And I can't mm-hmm. remember if in this point of the episode they had said they were, were going to date or not. I don't think they were. So, like, Sam didn't have anything else to do at that point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So I, I like, also think Blaine saying back that um, I think we, I forgot what episode we talked about it, but we, we had a discussion about um, Blaine, how he doesn't, like, want to let down Finn um, after, after Hold On to 16, he really, like, they they developed some kind of bond, like I don't I don't know. It wasn't really delved into much after that, but um, I I think part of his staying back is like he doesn't want to let down Finn. Okay, uh, I, I'm trying to work like, that out in my head, but uh, I get Tina saying it is healthy to move on because Glee Club is over, unfortunately. But then she has to go poke at Marley more and I don't know. I know. And I can also see Blaine trying to learn to let things go a little bit more at this point in his life. Yeah. Um, So they, but then, okay, so we get all the way through most of this episode. Uh, Do we want to take a quick second and detour in New York for a second and talk about being alive in the context of the claim story? I mean, I know we're definitely going to do it on the New York side, I just think the one thing that sticks out to me that I wanted to reference is just that this feels almost like a an answer to the dark to dark side that Blaine sings in dynamic duets. So uh, Kurt sings being alive, and they just always have felt related to me. The interesting thing about like being alive is the the um, 
the words are about like finding somebody who can make me feel alive. Whereas we're trying to like, he's trying to move on and, and feel alive outside of like be alive for himself, you know, or, well, I also think it's interesting because Blaine kind of becomes, we talked about in Dynamic Duet, a, a real character and kind of becomes himself like a live real person after this breakup too. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I don't know if I have um, anything really to say before getting into the card side of it, which I won't really do here, but just in context of Blaine. I, I don't know if I really like really thought of the words and what the the song is about. I just like just enjoyed him singing <laughs> when he sings. What were you gonna say, Bethany? Um, well, like I, I know I've said this to you, to you before. Uh, this is my favorite, favorite, favorite Kurt solo. I love it. I think he does such a great job. It's so emotive and real, and like. I, I sent you that fan vid where like it's basically showing me all these people he could be thinking about when he's singing this song. It's so good. Um, and his like his speech before is definitely giving it a bit more relevance because he's like, I finally understand it. Although I was like, who let you watch Company at six or listen to Company <laughs> at six? Because there's there's some stuff in there that's not appropriate for a six year old, but it's just it's such a good song and it basically kind of feels like this is again a turning point for Kurt in his life that he you know he went to New York without a plan he lost his boyfriend his best friend and they're on a track to get back to a good place and he was trying to get into his dream school but he got rejected twice which is total and complete bullshit and we've already talked about that to death so I won't talk about it anymore but it's still complete bullshit and then he finally China chooses to expose himself and let that let the emotions in let him let those walls down that's and that has to be hard for him because letting those walls down has got him hurt so many times in the past it's just like it's so beautiful and good and just such a you you kind of like see him grow almost during the song he's He's definitely growing up and becoming a different person, but still the same Kurt we know and love. It's just more. Yeah. I'll save my gushing for the other side, but I do agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) But into time. He gets so wrapped up in it that he forgets that they're there and like his, his face, like he kind of is shocked. Like, Oh wait, I'm singing for this crowd (laughs) at the end. Like it changes. Yeah, and the single tear, and just like, oh, Kurt, my baby, come here, I want to hug you. <laughs> I I and, do and, uh, think that in relation to Blaine, I do think the song is about himself and multiple people, but I also like to relate it to Blaine in that Blaine is one of the people that, that does make him feel alive, and that just, I don't know, I like the thought. Yeah. Um, one I, thing yeah, I, I relate it at least to Blaine. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I did note while Rachel was singing, I kind of still had it on mute because I didn't need to see her, listen to her sing two emotive songs in a row. 
they had Finn packing up the car room. And yeah, he got to keep the trophies, but why he's throwing them in his room, I don't know. But then he took the plaque of Mrs. Adler and like, you'd think Will would want that because she was actually his teacher. He'd want any of that. Why is Finn doing this all by himself? Yeah, because Will is in the beginning of this episode, but he's not in the, like, I don't know. Can't you go back to Washington? (laughs) I don't know. But then again, they were in the auditorium, and it was carved to six. I'm like, didn't April Rhodes buy them that auditorium? Like, wasn't it their auditorium for them to use, or did they lose that? I, you know, and I, I, it's a public school, so they can't technically own an auditorium, but whatever. I'm not even, let's let's leave on it again. I don't know what that line was about. (laughs) Marley and, and after Finn's, you know, inspirational phone call from Rachel, um, He's able to, you know, he talks with Marley and they kind of are like, okay, let's get this Glee Club back together again. And I love the little montage of, like, the, the texts that everybody's getting. And um, Blaine and Tina are hula hooping and <sighs> talking, you know, of what we said about Blaine being athletic. <laughs> like, doing all this hula hoop stuff while texting. <laughs> yeah. The, the ending song of this is uh, Don't Dream It's Over. And this is, I really love this performance. I think it's a really great performance. Yeah, they start singing together, just the two of them, and they're still depressed. And then uh, first it's uh, Blaine and Tina show up first. And then Sam and... Sam and Brittany, and then Kitty and Artie, and then they're just go to town with it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really good song, really good performance. I I'm just trying to think. I really like also that this group number. It's a group number. It's all about them. It's all about them starting over again. They sound really great on it. And then it also ties into New York stuff. Not that we're going to talk about it, but just that from here on out, I think something that was kind of missing from the New York side was the fact that there's all this stuff going on in McKinley or vice versa, that the themes didn't kind of match up together. And I think from here on out, thematically, the New York side and the McKinley side are going to start to line up a bit more. And that helps Mm -hmm. uh, with the cohesiveness of the season it doesn't necessarily feel like two totally 100% different shows. I don't get why, like, Tina and, and Blaine are not in their Cheerios outfits and they aren't in Cheerios. Are they? No. Until after um, uh, Sue, like, blackmails Blaine into it. So, like... She makes a point of were- saying to him in Feud that... Like, you joined on December 6th. You haven't been to a practice since December 7th. Like, it was a, like, day thing, and then they just yeah. stopped showing up. It's like... <laughs> and that's funny <laughs> to me. That, like... Um, just that one email changed their minds. And, so, like, it's it's not like anything is different. Like, they're still not going to be competing and that's what he said he joined Cheerios to do but but they just gave it up and I'm totally I'm totally in the opinion that like Tina was just following Blaine wherever he went like so he quit okay we'll we'll quit 
But um, the, just the fact that he gave up like that is is kind of funny. Yeah. I love Cheerio Blaine. Well, that kind of um, wraps up the, the two stories. Did, was there any other notes that you guys wanted to hit upon before we kind of say goodnight? I kind of want to know if they did that holiday concert. <laughs> Like, we we get one next episode, but that's just for Marley's mom as much as I remember. Yeah, no, they don't so really have like, anything. You guys want to be performers, mate, and you made a commitment. Do you not remember the whole debacle about the Christmas special versus the homeless shelter last year? Like, yeah, sometimes when you're a performer, you're going to have to do gigs you don't really want to do. And, yeah, I get it. You're boned, but you still signed up to do it. So They probably did it. But I'm just like, wonder if they actually... Did do it, but we never do get to see it. But we don't also don't get to see a lot of stuff. So maybe but I, I was... split budget cuts. Yeah. Well, I I like um I like that the end of the episode on this really nice number. I like that it's snowing though. I, it feels very much the end of something. As even though it is again in the middle of the middle season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It. I mean. But they end it on the song "Don't Dream It's Over," mm-hmm. so which is very optimistic. It, it feels, really, it feels like a very transition kind of episode in in a lot of ways. Well, it's a more of a like we're wrapping up the stories that we were telling for the fall, but we're leaving it open for more possibilities coming in the spring. Yeah, that. Yeah, just. Don't discount us. We'll we'll bring back something. And then, like, a lot of things transitioned over these two episodes. Like, where we wrapped up the, the stories, the the transition of, of the clean from they're never going to talk to each other to they're talking to each other. It's, um, now that I think of it, it kind of is interesting to me that that so much of the first seven episodes is kind of Blaine's point of view, but then yeah. this kind of forgiveness story, it, it turns for these two episodes, it turns to Kurt. And we'll talk obviously more about that in the New York side, but Blaine kind uh-huh. of his, like his story was kind of reaching its climax and dynamic duets. And now we're kind of seeing the Kurt side of it catch up a bit while getting some, we, a little we, bit of development. We needed like, that. We needed that for Blaine to move on to I felt like we we had up through dynamic duets but but there was still the open question of like but what about Kurt and and the Kurt size hole and Blaine's heart like you said Blaine Kurt has a Blaine size hole I feel like when Blaine met Kurt his heart shape changed shapes into Kurt shape and so he's just missing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well. So so yeah, we needed like we needed Kurt's like pivot in order for Blaine to do his complete recovery. And Bethany, and, what and, were you gonna say? I'm sorry. No, just like listening to you guys talk about how this episode really is a turning point. It makes kind of the title a bit more relevant because it is a swan song for what Glee had been this season, at least mm-hmm. thus far. And this is a real turning point. So like 
a lot of the stuff has ended. Glee Club, as we know it, has ended, and it is going to change because when they get it back, it's still not the same Glee Club because they're under Finn. Like, they've been under Finn for a while now, but, like, they're more cohesive. They're a better group together. So everything has changed, and this is, this is like... This is the end of Glee as you know it, and this is the end of a lot of things as you know it. So ev- from here on out, everything's going to change. Right. Like, yeah. Britney's Sorry. moved on. Like, it's going and to sit up like, stuff for other people. So, how we had, like, at the beginning of Thanksgiving, we had the old ones come in, and we had the, like, the new Glee Club under the shadow of the old Glee Club. Mm-hmm. And so. So like we were saying, they had to co- they had to break apart to come together. Like, yeah, this is the transition. This is the swan song of what? Yeah, like you said, the Glee Club that was in the past and this season. So far, we're gonna. Yeah, and the old the old too. people will come back, but they don't come back in a mentor capacity anymore. They come back to visit. I'm like, where are you getting the time out of school and the money? They they don't come <laughs> back say like, hey. I'm going to tell you how to do stuff, really. Like, there's some yeah, chat between some people, but it's not. You have to learn. No, by then, like, by by the section or by regionals, that, like, the Glee Club that is this new Glee Club is a very cohesive group. And, like, I, I loved their sectional performance. Um, and, or their regional performance. Because I tend to love like their, like you tend to hate their their competition episodes. I tend to love the them and the performances. <laughs> That's okay. That's why I'm not. I, you know, if I wanted a podcast with people just agreeing with me, I would do multiple takes of myself, and you know that would be the podcast. But um, no. But no. but yeah, by by the regionals, they're definitely a cohesive group, and then. They go through a lot too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm just thinking, like it, it. I know we were saying, like it seems weird to call it Swan Song when we're in the middle of the season, but it, it's more about the plot lines and everything. That's what's ending, not the show or whatever. Yeah, but- yeah. Glia's never, and we'll definitely see this more as we get into the weird time stuff going forward. Has never done time in a traditional way i mean yeah this is the end of this section and you know this is their their swan song even though they're going to come back as something new it's going to be like the phoenix and it dies and it has a rebirth yeah 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 cool speaking of time like the they yeah glee has never done time Correctly, I was I was trying to like follow a timeline writing a, a fic for season one, and I was like, I'm gonna need about two more months in the fall here to to make this make sense. Uh, so it's not just like their their year and a half long school year. It's uh, yeah, I have to do a podcast. Um, on the timeline because I've done my own writing about the timeline and I know there's some disagreement there, which would make sense because Glee is so contradictory, but yeah, that's definitely yeah. a bigger conversation for another day. Well, let me wrap this up here. Um, I want to thank you guys for coming and talking to me about these episodes. I know there's not a whole lot of blame, but I do think there's some really 
significant things to, to that we touched upon. If you guys haven't already, listeners, go listen to The Kurt Side, uh, which will be released the same day. Otherwise, uh, join us next week when we talk about Christmas while filming it in July with Glee Actually. Finally found you, my missing puzzle piece. I'm complete. I was just guessing at numbers and Good time, I'm having a ball We slip and slide